Hello and welcome to the European VC, your go-to podcast for insights into European VC. Broadcasting from Denmark, I'm Andreas, and as always, I'm joined by my dear co-host David from Portugal. What's up, David? I'm great, Andreas, and I'm really looking forward to today's episode where we zoom in on one of the lesser covered topics of VC, brand building in venture capital. Yeah, David, it's going to be a blast, especially with Kate taking us through the world of VC marketing. To all our listeners, I just have to say, here's a warning. Hold on to your hats. Kate is a whirlwind. Uh, we had a huge time talking to her last time, prepping for this call. So so brace yourself, guys. Also, before we start, I just remind you all that we love your suggestions for guests and topics. So so please don't stop sending them in. You can, of course, do that through our LinkedIn or at the europeanvc.com. Do whatever fits you best, guys. Yeah, and the same goes if you're looking to raise international round and the intro to international VCs investing in Europe. We'd love to help you with introductions, so do reach out. Before we start today's episode, don't forget to follow us. The European VC is available on all major podcasting platforms, so don't miss out. Today, we're joined by Kate Talbot, senior Forbes contributor and marketing strategist for great VC firms such as Plexo Capital, Community Fund, and Flybridge. Kate has a background from working directly with none other than the famed Richard Branson in startups backed by revered firms such as Anderson Horowitz, and has now started her own consultancy where she works with VCs on developing and executing their marketing strategy. Also, before kicking it off, I want to say thank you to Shomit Ghosh, GP at Onset Ventures, for providing suggestions for insightful questions to Kate today. Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and connect with you guys and your audience. So glad you're here. We're just thrilled, Kate. Before we start, I'd like to say, or I have to say, I'm a fanboy of Lotoni and Plexo Capital, and... I just have to get it out there that you've done a great job with him and his team. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a great, we'll talk about it more, but working with Lowe and seeing how much he skyrocketed this past year and a half has been amazing. So I can't wait to share more. There's a funny story there because when we reached out to you, I hadn't just realized that you were actually working with Lowe and Plexo Capital. And when I did, I was so happy because I'm such a big fan of your work, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's great that, you know, we think that we're just tweeting for, you know, a small audience or just the U.S., but to know that it's international and so many people are becoming huge fans of Plexo Capital and, of course, Lowe, who's done amazing work all throughout his career, is just incredible. We're a small team, but when we hear these words, it means a lot. Very cool. So, Kate, as I said, you were introduced to us via Shomit Ghosh. And I'd actually love to start our, our talk there. I know that Shumit gave you some career advice some years ago. What was it and how do you apply it in your career today? We're really curious. Yeah, so I love the story of meeting Shomit. So it, I was getting my MBA in San Francisco and one of our courses was Silicon Valley Immersion. So I was the only woman in the course and it was myself and 10 men. So we went to Sand Hill Road where Onset Ventures is located. And we were, you know, to have a question for Shomit and show our interest. And I think my question was, what was it like going to UC Berkeley at the age of 15? And of course, he was so humble about that. But throughout my project with Silicon Valley Immersion was to write about, I did social venture capital. So he helped answer some questions for my white paper. And through that, you know, he really saw that I was a great writer. And I say that not boastfully, but because that's what he would tell me literally for the last 10 years. He's told me, you know, you sh you're smart, you can do anything and to always say yes. So as I've built out my own consultancy, 
every time something incredible comes my way, whether it's becoming a Snapchat expert witness or having to interview Kourtney Kardashian or to do a series B deck or whatever it is that seems so outside of myself. I always tap into what Shomit says always to encourage me, but to always remember to say yes in your career. So that's made me catapult my career. And I hope anybody who's listening just says yes to any adventure that comes their way. That's so cool. And I think that story speaks so much about both Shomit, he's also been like a super uh, friend of ours at European VC, but also about yourself, you know, so that is really a beautiful way to, to kick things off. I love that. As Andreas was saying, you've, you've done some quite amazing work uh, with Lotoni. And believe me, Andreas is really a fanboy there. I truly believe that story embodies the strength of a well-crafted content marketing strategy. And I'd love for you to lay it for us and explain kind of the overall rationale behind it and what it has done for Lo and Plexo as an example. Yeah, definitely. So just some background. I worked with Lo about six years ago at a social media startup. We sat next to each other and that startup kind of pivoted and then right before he was about to launch Plexo Capital, since it was a spinoff of Google Ventures GV in November of 2019, I get an email one day that says, Kate, you're running my social media. It was very much faded in the stars that we would work together. I'm not sure I even had a say in it, but I, of course, as Shomit said, said yes. Uh, it's been really a great journey. So this was November 2019, and he launched his firm to the public in December to great fanfare. And so we worked with a PR firm, but after that, it was really just Low and myself working together on a social and content and PR strategy. My background, as you guys said, is in social media. I've worked with many venture capital firms and startups. So I kind of knew the landscape of, you know, what we needed to do with, you know, focusing on Twitter as well as on LinkedIn. But what's great about Plexo Capital is that it's a focus in on diversity and inclusion. And so our brand ethos, we're always in the messaging that we've done. And that's been a part of every single social media tweet, every single LinkedIn post and every single kind of content that we did. But what a lot of people might not know is that we're actually an institutional investor going across all different aspects of the startup ecosystem. So that's a big part that we want to bring into our messaging as well. So what we did during that time from about November to March was Lo would go to a lot of events. He went to Upfront Ventures. We got a great photo with Paris Hilton and him. So we thought about influencers from the start. That's a funny story. Maybe I'll tell another day. And <laughs> but we did this a lot of just, you know, on the fly kind of content with communication. He was in LA and I was in the Bay Area. But what happened was when COVID hit, we really thought about real-time communications and really being part of conversations that were happening. So in March, Sequoia did a Black Swan long-form content about what founders should do in this timing. And so instead of, you know, we took that idea and we did it for what emerging managers should do as they're raising a fund. So we've always been trying to help the VCs that are also raising funds at the same time. And then I will say a pivotal point for Low as well as Plexo Capital is during the summer um, with the unfortunate events of George Floyd, because Low is a black man and he grew up in Oakland, but he also has an amazing voice. We were able to get out an incredible medium post called I'm a VC, but still a black man in America. And maybe that's when you guys heard about him because it truly catapulted everything to a next level for Plexo Capital as well as low. So because of that, you know, he ended up getting tons of press, you know, Fortune, TechCrunch, Forbes, you name it. They really were going to low as the go-to venture capitalist that had insights about Black Lives Matter and what we could do as a community, what we could all do to make changes within the startup 
in tech ecosystem. So I would say just the fact that we've always focused on community, we've always focused on diversity and inclusion, and we've always thought about how we can be part of conversations that are happening in real time that helps not only the founders because we do direct investments, but also institutional, that's just been part of our strategy. So it's, I mean, as you guys see, you're huge fanboys. We're really lucky and thankful that people have been so receptive to the words that we put out there. We certainly are fanboys. David, uh, David thanks for uh, reiterating. Kate, just to double tap on the fact that Plexo actually acts as institutional investors. It's a point that I don't think many people know in Europe, of course, and haven't seen from VCs that they both do investments directly into companies and also into management companies. I just maybe ask you to reflect on what has it been like to target uh, emerging managers in contrast that to targeting founders. Have you seen any difference there or? Mm -hmm. From the marketing perspective, it definitely feels a little bit different because if you look at traditional venture capital firms, they're really trying to find their specific founder audience so that they can speak to the founder audience so that they can get the deal flow. But I think since because we're an LP and a couple of in about 15 GPs, that it definitely has a different way of looking at the market. We're not just doing that direct investment, but something that's coming up that we're launching soon, and maybe by the time this airs, it will be open, and it's going to be an open source event, is we're going to do a YC for GPs. So we're going to help emerging managers learn how to be better fund managers and all the stuff that they can learn to rise up. So we're not only thinking about when we talk to founders, what we can do there so that they, we get that deal flow, but we also want to empower the emerging managers that are out there because as Lowe built out Plexo Capital on his own, he has insights of learnings and he has a great network itself that we're going to bring in so that we can teach them. And then this might all change by the time it launches. We're going to use emerging platforms like Clubhouse to do kind of our open source communication. So uh, the marketing is always looking different as a firm that's not just doing direct investment. So, but because of that, we're thinking of ways that we can empower and help out the emerging fund managers out there. I just have one question. Will it be open for European emerging managers? If you're on Clubhouse. <laughs> okay, guys, keep your eyes peeled because this might be interesting for many of our listeners. <laughs> David and I are in our day-to-day -day work really trying to help emerging managers in Europe because there are so many people trying to crack into a VC and people are just left on the field. <laughs> we need people like Lowe and, uh, and also Founders Institute working to uh, create a new breed of VCs. So all the respect in the world from us to, on that. Yeah, definitely. Um, Kate, I don't want to put you on the spot with this one, but I want to kind of try and talk a bit Europe here. So do stop me <laughs> if it doesn't make that much sense for you. But, you know, as you know, Europe is several different countries and this is actually a nightmare to kind of build and establish brands because it's really hard to have like this coherent, uh, the way you put it, that you have this consistent ethos that's embedded in everything, every single message, every single content you put out. And, and here in Europe, we sometimes struggle. What would be like kind of, I don't know, your tips or how would you face this challenge? Because The fact of the matter is, and this is something that we really believe in, is that genius is everywhere across Europe, and it doesn't matter how developed the ecosystem is. So how would you expand on that? Yeah, I think to kind of the beginning of this conversation, Andreas pointed out that he's a big fan of low. And when I think of my own content, I don't think of, oh, do we have to hit the Asian markets or the European markets? I think we're just creating for low to be the best, you know, diversity investor or investor in the ecosystem. So I wouldn't really think so much about Europe and being geo, you know, specific, I think, because also we live in a Zoom world or whatever you want to call it. 
we can think about how do you build your brand to be the best investor in the, you know, the fintech space or the green space or whatever it is. I know, obviously, the differences there are between the Europe, European landscape and then, you know, Silicon Valley and whatnot. But now I feel it's a whole different world. So I would encourage anybody within Europe to just think of ourselves as one big ecosystem because, you know, we all have the same tools to connect and converse and to build your brand as somebody who's going to be great within the vertical that you're investing in. But that also speaks to an interesting point, Kate, because that, of course, means to a large extent, you also say <laughs> transcend the traditional media sources. So so PR is one of the things that I see many European VCs, uh, maybe the more older school, thinking of as being an important source. But the fact of the matter is just in Denmark, if you go to the Danish local uh, media, then you wouldn't really be hitting anyone outside of your nationality, would you? What are your thoughts on, on PR in general and using that as a way of getting your word out? Yeah, PR in the traditional media forms, I mean, definitely still needs to be part of your strategy. PR is definitely great, especially when you're early fundraising for the startups. You know, when they get that Series A and they get that PR, they get mentioned in TechCrunch or venture beat or whatnot. And because of that, then they can, you know, get better hiring or just more visibility. And I'm sure the venture capitalists are always happy to see their investments out in the press. In terms of just traditional media, I think just being part of farther away, I still think you can build relationships with press and, you know, using Twitter or Instagram or any kind of social media to truly build the relationship. So when you have an announcement, whether you're, you know, your fund, you know, your another fund two or fund three is coming out and you want press for that. I think that's super important, but also you can, you know, own your own press too. You could put that on PR Newswire and see who's reaching out to you and see what you get from that. Or, you know, use your social media as well to do your press announcements. So I think there's always a mixture right now. You can own your own press and use, you know, your announcement on your own channels, but you can also, you know, build those long-term relationships with the journalists that might not be so close to you, but you're able to connect through social media like Clubhouse, Twitter, LinkedIn, and then you might be able to get, you know, visibility that way. But I definitely think press is great, but you also want to be thinking about how can that just live on different kinds of channels that aren't just the media? Because again, nowadays, not everybody's reading TechCrunch. They might be scrolling on Twitter for their, for their insights. And, and I think the world is always changing around press and media. Yeah, absolutely, Kate. So, okay, now I just want to shift focus to fundraising for VC funds, because I know that during COVID, you have been helping uh, some VCs raising their funds. And I'm thinking COVID has definitely changed how things work. And uh, I'm guessing it has also had quite some impact on the VC fundraise playbook. Could you elaborate on, on your learnings there? Yeah, so this is one of the first times that I've been part of the fundraising process, just in terms of Plexo Capital, because when Lowe was able to get visibility during the summer with the Black Lives Matter movement, we were able to get more investment from some of our um, previous investors. So we've been fundraising for the last couple of months. And, you know, again, as a marketer, I'm not part of the you know, fundraising meetings between the institutional investors and whatnot. However, some things that have really helped is, you know, we did our LP meeting, obviously virtual this year. And because we did it virtual, what was great is that we actually recorded it. And we've been able to use that 
when we're reaching out to, um, you know, more of these institutional places so that they can see, you know, we had every single person part of our team, you know, we had the analyst, we had the financial engineer, we had myself, and we had, you know, great fireside chats with, you know, um, part of our GP network. So we really branded the whole LP meeting to be an asset as well for our fundraising. So I think that was like a really great example because, you know, prior years, an LP meeting is just going to be in person. And because it's been virtual this year, we've been able to have those assets that we can always use, which has been really great. And then recently we did a clubhouse room with Lo Tony and uh, Richard Kirby of Equal Ventures. And what was great is that after that room, we had 1,100 people there, which is really big for clubhouse. It was all about how to raise your first fund. So it was really great. And we had some other venture capitalists like there, like Sheil from Better Tomorrow Ventures, who's also a clubhouse influencer with like 2 million followers. So what was really great is that after that event, you know, uh, Kuji, who is our institutional, he helps to raise with low, he got tons and tons of inbound from that, as well as people from CalPERS or, you know, some of the people that they're targeting were in that room. So we've been really cognizant about, you know, as we do with anything like who our target list is and how we can better communicate with them, show them who we are, build our brand, and then really, you know, throw it all together to make sure that we get our funding. I can definitely hear that I am uh, doing the right thing in uh, finding my wife's old iPhone 4 so that I can see if that can actually run Clubhouse. I'm an avid Android user, so uh, so I'm, I'm locked out by now, but I can hear that I'm doing the right thing. Definitely. <laughs> Kate, I want to dive in a bit to you helping emerging managers and especially the underrepresented emerging managers. In Europe, you can often meet managers thinking that external marketing advice is something you get if you are a big, well-established fund, but that's really not the case, is it? No, definitely not. And you don't, I think that most venture capital funds in America do have a marketing specialist part of their team, whether in-house or as a consultant. And even with the community fund, which is run by Lolita Taub and Jesse Middleton, and that's only a $5 million fund that had marketing as well. So I helped them as well as Keegan, who was part of the team as well on Flybridge, she helped them. So marketing is really great. And I think it's an amazing resource to have because the world of marketing and the world of venture capital is always changing. So you want to be up on the trends, understanding how to get the best distribution and understanding how to tell your story and build your brand to the global audience. When we first talked, you said something that really um, stayed with me. (laughs) Actually, you said a couple of things that really stayed with me. And it was, you know, you talked about making VC digestible. And connected to that point, you talked about humanizing it, you know, and that all to to, to kind of... uh, you know, kind of make this statement of, you know, understanding the power of community and using the power of community to then, you know, basically achieve the goals that that these emerging managers, these funds have. Can you expand a bit more on that? Because I think that you made a really inter- interesting point when talking about it. And I'd love to share with our listeners as well. Yeah, so I think that's best exemplified when I worked with the community fund, as I just mentioned. Lolita Taub, who is pretty huge on social media. She's done a really incredible job of being vulnerable and telling her story. You know, she's a female millennial. And I think that if you look at, you know, some of the best influencer storytellers out there, they're all female millennials because they understand the social ecosystem very well. So, you know, when we launched a community fund, we launched with the personal stories, Jesse and Lolita's front and center. It wasn't, you know, how big is a fund? It was, this is my story. You know, my dad's had cancer. I'm sorry. 
like Lolita had cancer, her dad had passed away. You know, this is why I'm building the community fund because she came from the ghettos of LA and now has access to capital. Now, if we just had come across and said, okay, we raised $5 million and this or 5 million for the fund and X, Y, and Z, that story isn't that as exciting. You've heard that story many, many times before, but the story of Lolita being very vulnerable and so many people connecting with her, we were able to really galvanize and we were able to, because the community fund has 11 additional partners and we're using the soft launch where they launch your stories to get inbound, to have people part of the fund. You know, we had, I think almost 500 people apply to be part of the fund right then and there because people share their stories. And I think the fact that they started with their stories and humanized themselves from the beginning, everybody that they chose to be part of that fund had a beautiful story themselves. So when the fund actually launched, we also then had every single partner share their stories as well. And so maybe that was an Indian immigrant or a black guy from Chicago or a black and Jewish from LA. And just the fact that, you know, the way that we look at storytelling in 2021 and whatnot is really what is different about us. And so that really helped out. And I think the digestible part is that, you know, our attention spans are really, really short. I mean, we look at something like TikTok and, you know, that's doing well because it's, you know, 15, 30 seconds. So I always encourage, you know, I know a lot of venture capitalists love a long form content and, you know, people get a lot from it and that's a value, but also try to think about, you know, maybe we could have that long form article, but then you could do a LinkedIn post for, you know, two minutes, or you could do a newsletter that's shortened. So always take a long form piece of rock content and then diversify that across the content distribution spectrum to make it shorter and more digestible because not everybody has time to to, you know, read your long form content that might take 30 minutes or so. Through the podcast, we're actually really trying to find ways to help make VC more understanded <laughs> by people. You know what I mean? Do you want to share kind of a learning of working in the industry, you know, particular concepts that are really hard to, to kind of translate and to make them digestible? I'm thinking that, you know, Andres and myself, we're working with founders and sometimes even founders, some terms are completely alien to them, <laughs> right? And so sometimes when you want to create a community, you don't necessarily only want the VCs, the GPs and the LPs, or only the founders. Sometimes you also want the ecosystem players. So it's, you really have to make these messages super clear. Do you want to share anything on like what you found the most challenging kind of topics and, and areas to deep dive on? Yeah, I think that, I mean, I'm a newcomer in some ways to this whole world. I'm not an investor, but I had a conversation once with Lo about GP stakes and how the private equity world is getting, and I couldn't even say it right. It's all about the private equity world and how you do management fees. So I'm not perfect with it either. So that to me was like, a conversation that blew my mind and I spent the weekend researching it. So what I always like to do as well when I'm, you know, editing or revising content with any venture capitalist is thinking, how if I was just a normal person understanding this? And somebody I worked with, Jeff Busgang, he's a Harvard Business School professor as well as the partner at Flybridge Capital. I think he does a tremendous job of making stuff digestible and understandable for the common audience. And I think any writer, whether you're writing about venture capital or crypto or cybersecurity or fashion, you have to make it digestible and understandable for everybody out there, or you're just not going to get a larger audience. And if that's your goal, then you're going to really be missing out. So I always, you know, we all have to write for the common, the common person like me. <laughs> nah, but it's even to the tough people out there who uh, would uh, look at it and say, nah, but I only want to talk to venture capitalists and LPs. I don't need the common people. Even to those guys, I guess that the point would also be, look, 
the LinkedIn algorithm doesn't like people who's not talking to a lot of people. So, so you won't get in front of them unless you are speaking to everyone. Exactly. And doing the right content, you know, long form posts on LinkedIn don't do well, but short videos do. So always be thinking about if you have a bigger message that's harder, how can you make it quicker and digestible and understandable? Because the algorithms are basing we have to base our lives off the algorithm at this point. Kate, I want to I circle back. And this is a question suggested by Shomit. So we know, and, and for our, our listeners and our audience, so Kate has interviewed a lot of super interesting and famous people. So to name a few, Richard Branson, Kourtney Kardashian, Maria Shriver, Arnold Schwarzenegger's wife, Alex Morgans. She's the best player on a U.S. women's soccer team. I need to explain because European people might not know all of them. And the list just goes on. I don't have time to go on. What would you say that you see in common across them? So what's this commonality of these highly visible celebrities, in your opinion? And... Is there any insight there for the regular mortal <laughs> that we can use to bring to build our own personal brands? Yeah, well, I'm not a reality TV mogul, super soccer star, but here are some things that I've thought about with this question. So the first one is, is perseverance. So if you look at every single one of the people I've interviewed, they've all hit rough patches or launched something that didn't go well. You know, you look at Richard Branson, I think they did Virgin Cola or the Kardashians have launched many things that haven't done well, but instead of, you know, letting it stop them, they've gone right back up and tried again and iterated. And I think that's such a lesson for the VCs or the startup founders out there who are listening is to truly have perseverance. And I use that in my own entrepreneurial journey as well, because no matter how hard we try, sometimes it's just not going to go our way, but you just got to have positive attitude and move forward. And then the second thing that I think they do great is they all have diversification. So you look at somebody like Alex Morgan, who's a soccer star, but she also has her own clothing line and she's done great partnerships as a brand ambassador. Or of course, you know, you look at the Virgin brand, they have, you know, everything under the sun and as well as the Kardashians, they have so many different product lines and businesses. So not only thinking about what your main core product is, but how can you diversify yourself as an entrepreneur? And I do that myself. I think I have about eight, different business lines of revenue. And that helps me out because, you know, if the service side of consulting isn't going well, well, maybe I'll get a great Forbes interview and that will help me out. So I think diversification. And then my last one, which I thought about, which I really love actually, is that every single person I've interviewed references family. And I think that that's so important. A few years back, I was at the Hollywood Walk of Fame with Richard Branson and his family when he was getting a star. And you could just tell that he really cared about making sure that his family was well taken care of and that they were part of the journey with him. And you look at the Kardashians, obviously it's all about a family business. And Alex Morgan really thought about, you know, she's a new mom and how her business is going to look that way. And as well as Maria Shriver, I mean, gosh, she's doing a, a show right now with her son, Patrick, and she loves all of her kids. So I think just the fact that they put family first really shows that, you know, your entrepreneurial journey is also supported through having great family and friends and making sure that they're a part of that because without them, I'm sure it doesn't have as much value. So I've been so fortunate and so thankful to be able to interview these incredible A-list entrepreneurs, superstars and whatnot. And because of their insights, I've been able to take that to my own business and hopefully spread the word through my Forbes writing as well. I love that, Kate. Uh, lesson for all of us here. Family and perseverance. Oftentimes, I find that those things go hand in hand. Kate, our time is running out and I hope uh, everyone hears that uh, we've had a complete blast with you. Before we let you go, we just have to challenge you with a quick fire round. Are you ready to go? Yeah. 
So first up, what would you say to VCs thinking that they can take care of their marketing themselves without a dedicated resource in their team? You definitely need to hire out because you want to make sure that you're seen and visible to the whole public. What's the one thing VCs should remember in building their brand online? Brand is a moat that differentiates you from everybody else. So invest in it so that you're able to be um, seen when people are looking for funding. And what's next from Kate Talbot? (laughs) What's next is right. I just launched my course all about how to be a solopreneur. I'm really excited because now it's out in the public and it's all about how to craft your founder story, how to get press, how to scale your social media and how to work with influencers. So I'm sure through this, you'll see my website that Andreas might shout it out. But yeah, I just launched it this past week and it's been so exciting to add that as an entrepreneur. One more thing to my business revenue. Yeah, awesome. You can be sure that we will shout that out. (laughs) Yeah. So Kate, for our listeners, what exactly is your URL so they can check out your uh, course, Solopreneur course? Yeah, to check out all that I do, it's katetalbotmarketing.com. And I actually have my own newsletter as well. So you can find that there as well. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you guys through Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, you name it. Just find me, Kate Talbot Marketing or Kate Talbot. So I love connecting with everybody who reaches out. Kate, it was really great chatting with you today. We both wish you all the best in your future endeavors. Do reach out to us if we can ever be in a, of assistance. You can always count on the UVC and we're looking forward to keeping in touch. Thank you guys so much. This was awesome and I'm so thankful. This was our interview with Kate Talbot, fourth contributor and marketing strategist for world-renowned VC firms. If you would like to see more from Kate, I suggest you follow her on LinkedIn or even Twitter since she's American. Uh, that's something that they do over there. We don't really in Europe. We thank you for listening to the European VC, the go-to place for insights into European VC. Visit the europeanvc.com to hear more from us. If you'd like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, please do reach out to us. If you're about to raise an international round, we're happy to introduce you to relevant VCs. We are always there for you.